Family, it's great to be able to share God's word with you today and to be speaking from the book of Proverbs as we bring to a close our Wisdom for Life series. And my hope, my prayer is that actually during this season, during this past few weeks, as we've been going through the book of Proverbs, God has been speaking to you in a very real um, and practical way, especially as we've looked at some of those topics that most, if not all of us, have encountered during this season. I'm talking about anxiety, friendships and loneliness, um, how we deal with trouble and how we assess our hearts. But as we return to a new normal as a nation, I went to the restaurant um, the other day to celebrate my wife's birthday and it was packed. And so gradually, albeit, we are returning to a new normal as a nation. But as we do, it's important, um, especially important as Christians, as a people of God, that we remember one of the reasons why the Lord sovereignly allows crises like this to happen. And that is to uncover and to reveal what is already there on multiple levels. So, for instance, during this pandemic, we've seen that ethnic minorities are more at risk for various reasons that are still being considered. And sadly, that's nothing new, but it has been exposed during this season. Or how about businesses? I'm sure you've seen um, the news. You've seen how some um, companies have had to close even in the face of support because the crisis has exposed their deep financial woes. And I'm sure that you can add one thing or another um, that has been exposed or revealed during the season. You can add that to the list. And they're all important, but we're not called to forget them. But what I want to put before you today um, is that the most important thing that I believe God has uncovered and that he would have us be mindful of is where our trust lies. That's right, where your trust and where my trust lies. In First Peter, Peter's addressing the church and they are suffering trials and they are experiencing grief. And in verse seven of chapter one, Peter says that one of the reasons why these trials have come is so that their faith may be tested and it may result in praise to the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus, in one of his most famous parables that I'm sure we all know, he speaks about two men, one who builds a house on sand and the other who builds a house on a rock. And as you know, it's the flood that did what? Exposed what their house had been built on. The flood showed it, it, it exposed what they had put their trust in to cause their house to keep standing. And the same can be said for all of us, for the individual, for the family, and for more broadly speaking, our nation. The crisis tends to expose where our trust has been. And it's important because as Phil preached last week, he spoke about how from God's perspective, it's what's happening on the inside of human hearts that is of first importance. Because from the heart flows what? The decisions that we make how we walk, how we talk, how we see and value things. And I can testify during this season, especially for my wife and I, we have, it's been revealed really where our trust lies, especially as we've started to adjust to homeschooling our kids. Or how about with recent events surrounding racism? How quick are we to go and listen and going to find out what our favourite expert opinion is on the whole issue of racism all the while disregarding what the very author and redeemer of mankind has to say in his very word where does your trust lie 
And it's in this context that God's gracious wisdom comes and addresses us, knowing full well the scope of situations we're encountering now and we will encounter in the future. But also knowing that we have a choice, whether we're going to trust in our faithful creator or whether we're going to put our trust in other created things, including ourselves. So what we're going to do now is read Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. This is a very familiar passage. One of those passages that young people, kids commit to memory. People get the tattoo chapter and verse on their arm. You see it on people's shirts. You know the gist. But do we appreciate its meaning? Um, This passage, in fact, it reminds me of the time that I spent in Nigeria. Some of you would know I spent three years in Nigeria from 16 to 19. And for all the experiences, all the memories that I had out there, one of the key takeaways was the richness of faith that the people enjoyed, genuinely speaking. And I'm not just speaking about the adults. I'm speaking about the young people as well. And it's interesting, I've heard a similar pattern in stories that people have told me or shared with me about Christians living in parts of the world where they do not have much. And I believe Psalm 20 verse 7 gives us a bit of insight into why that is. It says, some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. And this should be our confession regardless of where we live, regardless of our economic circumstances. But one of the things I've found, especially living in the West, and I'm sure you have as well, is that when there's no chariot, when there's no horse, it's much easier to see our need for trusting in God. And so one of the key things or the first one I want to show us from this passage is that we all trust in something. We all trust in something. Irrespective of whether we want to call ourselves religious or not, as humans made in God's image, we always, we always, in anything, place our lives in the hands of an ultimate authority. And that's one of the reasons why the Christian faith is described as one where we are rescued by Jesus Christ from the sinful darkness of worshipping false gods. And that's anything in our life that is not the true God, the one true God that has the ultimate authority in our lives. That could be ourselves, that could be money, that could be pride, that could be anything. But when it's not the one true God, then it's classified as a false God. And the the Christian faith is described as one where we're rescued from that place and we're brought into the light of the true and living God, who is eternal, hasn't been made by any figment of our imagination, but who made us in all things. And this passage, it informs us that in all of our lives, in every area, there is always an ultimate authority that we take our cue from. And think about it for a moment. Think of questions like, how did you get here? How did you and I get here? What's right and what's wrong? How should I deal with this situation that's before me? Should I um, fear this thing that seeks to wreak havoc in my life? For answering any of these questions, there's going to be one authority or another that will give us insight in how we answer that. And that's why wisdom is so persuasive. In verse five, it says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Wisdom says, make him your ultimate authority, for he is the one who made the earth and everything in it. He is the one who established and sustains it. 
He is the one who, if you call on him, he will show you great and unsearchable things that you do not know. Trust him, wisdom says. And Jesus, our Lord, the eternal son, he says similar about himself in John 14. After, um, or in, the, in this passage, he's speaking to his disciples about troubling times that are about to come. And he says to them, first and foremost, trust or believe in God, speaking of the father. And then he says to them, believe in me. Again, showing that he is equal in essence and nature with the father. But what you see in Jesus saying that is that he knew, he knew that the reports of troubling times could lead his disciples to trust in the emotional response that is produced when you hear such news. And that their trust could be exchanged from God into fear. And so that's why Jesus speaks to them and he says to them, trust in God, believe in God and believe in me. And isn't that the truth? Even with recent events or recent reports of job losses and even an impending recession, it's so easy for us. They have the power to do what calls us to exchange our trust in God and instead place it in our own understanding. Be that fear or our financial resources if we have them, or drugs and alcohol, get-rich-quick schemes, or even the government. We put our trust in the government as our sole provider. Or how about with recent events around the injustice of racism? I'm starting to see a withdraw. I'm seeing people withdraw from the faith in Jesus Christ and instead putting their trust in Afrocentric traditional religions that have no power to bring about true justice, both in this life or in the life to come? Or how about with the lack of relational intimacy that we've all experienced during this time, for some more extreme than others? But how easy is it to try and make up for the deficit by doing what? Putting our trust maybe in pornography or engaging in a relationship that we know we shouldn't be in. You see, in every circumstance of life, this passage, God's wisdom is telling us we will put our trust in something. But whenever the object is not the supreme God of scripture, whenever the object is not our loving father, then that trust will lead us down crooked rather than straight paths. And so what does it mean? What does it mean then to trust God with all of our heart? What does it mean to lean not on our own understanding in all of our ways? And this moves me to the second thing that I want to show us. And that is that to trust means to put your full confidence in something or someone. So to trust means to put your full confidence in something or someone. Because this is one of those passages that is much easier to say or recite than it actually is to do. I remember a few years ago, I was meditating on this very passage and I wrongly assumed that it meant that I had to suspend all of my critical thinking and wait for God to show me some type of sign. And that would be proof that I had trusted in him with all of my heart. And I was wrong. That was just mysticism. But from a biblical perspective, um, it's more like going on an unknown journey to an unknown um, destination you're driving. And I'm sure you've been on similar trips as well. I know I have. And instead of putting your trust or relying on your perceived wits or your knowledge of the road, you instead put your full confidence and trust and hope, really, in an app, Google Maps or Waze. You're driving, yes, but every direction is coming from this trusted app. It becomes your point of reference and you know it that it won't fail because it has full insight into all things pertaining to the road. Or another analogy, we went to um, Go Ape last week. For those of you who know about Go Ape or you don't know, 
Um, Go Ape is this outdoor um, adventure experience, um, trees, you're in the trees, um, and it's a course, it's really good. A bit scary, um, you're up in the trees, you're about, I think, about 50 feet or so above the ground. And whilst there, they give you this harness, they give, go through many instructions and, and training and, and whatnot, but they give you this harness um, so that whilst you're going through every activity, you're safe and you remain intact and secure. Now, please believe I put my trust in the harness. I didn't doubt. I didn't second guess. I didn't use it for 10 minutes and say, OK, you know what? I'm going to um, leave it now and, and use something else. No, no amount of education, no uh, lack of or abundance of wealth or convincing from so-called experts would have caused or persuaded me to not put my trust in the harness. You see, that harness, yeah, it it was fit for the job. Um, I had tasted and seen that it was good. Other people bore witness to it. In fact, it bore witness for itself because every single person who came to go Abe and put their trust in it came out safe. And the same can be said even more about our God, about our Lord. He, out of all people in all creation, heaven and on earth, is worthy and deserving of our trust. And in fact, his CV says it all. Yeah, God is eternal. He is eternal. He's always been there from the beginning, even before the beginning. He's faithful. When God makes a promise, he always keeps it. He is all knowing. What is there that God does not know? He is truthful and he is good. He cannot um, do evil. And so when it comes to trusting in the Lord, it begins first and foremost with trusting his character, knowing him and seeing his beauty. But then subsequently, it leads to what? It leads to us trusting in his word, in the Bible, the scriptures, which are God breathed, because his word reflects his character. It reflects his will. In fact, the Bible is called his revealed will. And when you start trusting, what it means to trust really in the scriptures is to do what? Place your full confidence in what he has said regarding anything and everything pertaining to life. Be that about your salvation or your future destiny. Be that about the church and how it runs. Be that about our finances or our health or our children or politics, law, you name it. Not just things related to the church, but also things related to the culture. Because as that harnesses in Go Ape, um, God's word is the most trustworthy in all of life for every area of life, of human existence, because he is Lord of heaven and earth. Jesus is um, spoken of by one of his disciples, John, as being the word of life. Peter, another disciple, confessed that Jesus has the words of eternal life because God is not a man that he should lie. Nor does he need to change to suit our desires because he knows what is good for his creation and his word reflects that. And as God's people, it's so important, so important, especially today, especially for the young people as well. And I include myself in that category. It's so important that we are reminded of the goodness and trustworthiness of God's word, because there are so many attacks against it that seek to dull our trust in it from the sin of self-sufficiency. I can do all things um, by myself or on my own to materialism, to false contrast between science and faith, even down to um, our own very emotions and feelings and elevated experiences where we say, you do you and um, speak your truth. 
So I'm gonna, what I'm gonna do now is just share a few passages that hopefully restore our trust in God's word because the extent to which we see our God as good, faithful and true will be the extent to which we trust and follow his instructions. So in Psalm 19 verse seven and eight, it says, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making the wise simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. In Psalm 119, it says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. It says, forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. Through your precepts, I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. And there's much more, much more can be said about God's word. And in fact, I'd encourage you to read Psalm 119. It's the longest chapter in the whole Bible, but it is well worth it. But as you can see quite clearly, there are many benefits, temporary and eternal, um, for trusting in God's word rather than in our own understanding. And it's this, when humans have trusted in God, in his word, that has led to God's kingdom purposes being fulfilled in the earth rather than being opposed. So, for example, in Hebrews 11, we read about Sarah, Abraham's wife. And it says that um, she was beyond the age of childbearing. She was old, old. I'm talking old, beyond the age of having kids. But yet it says that she received power to conceive because she considered that God who promised to give her a child was faithful and could be trusted until she had a child, Isaac. Later on in Hebrews 11, we read about um, her husband, Abraham. Bear in mind, God has promised that um, or has promised them a son, specifically Isaac. And yet in Hebrews 11, we read that how Abraham obeyed God when God told him to sacrifice that very son that God has promised. And Hebrews tells us that he did so because he considered that if God had said already that Isaac, this son, will be the one through which my descendants will be named, then therefore God must be able to raise this child from the dead. I remember reading that years ago and I was like, I cannot believe the type of faith this guy had. You see, he trusted God and we know the end of the story that God said, nah, don't kill him, don't sacrifice him. I was just testing you and I can see that you trust God. And so what we see from that is that for Abraham, his trust in God's unshakable word led him to do something that otherwise his understanding would have told him not to do. Or how about Alawada Equiano? He was an 18th century abolitionist right here in the UK. And he wasn't your common activist. No, first and foremost, he trusted in the Lord. And in his autobiography, he writes about near-death experiences that he um, witnessed, he saw, and some that he also, I guess, suffered and experienced himself. And he says this, In these, and in many more instances, I thought I could plainly trace the hand of God, without whose permission a sparrow cannot fall. I began to raise my fear for man to him alone and to call daily on his holy name with fear and reverence. And I trust he heard my supplications and graciously condescended to answer me according to his holy word. You see, he trusted in the Lord to save him and he trusted in the Lord to bring about cultural transformation in his day. And I've had my 
fair share as well of, I guess, encounters, experiences where I've had to really consider, do I trust the Lord? And I remember one, I always remember this, when um, a few years ago I was considering leaving my role in banking and that was because I felt God leading me out. And it this period was tough. It was difficult. Um, my wife can testify to it. It was a tough time for us because we didn't want to do it. It was too scary. Um, but by God's grace, we came to a place of confidence in God. Not confidence in our situation, but confidence in God. And I'll always remember when a colleague of mine, a dear friend, um, he came to me and said, Moses, why are you doing this? It's irresponsible. You have a wife, you have a child, you have a mortgage um, and you've just been promoted. And as he said that, I thought, you know what? You're speaking truth, bro. But you're not speaking the whole truth because my Lord Jesus, he said in Matthew 6 that the father knows what I need. But he says to me that if I seek first his kingdom, he will add all things that I need onto me. And in a time like this, friends, we cannot surrender our minds. We cannot surrender our heart to our own understanding. We must, we need to rely on the word of God. And in practice, what does that mean? It means that we need to be people who search the scriptures, people who by faith rest in what God has said and walk in it by faith. If you're feeling maybe distant from God and without hope, you need to know and trust what God says. He says that anyone, anyone um, who comes to Jesus, he says that Jesus is able to completely save to the uttermost all those who draw near to God through him because he intercedes for them. He intercedes for us. If, you're, and if your understanding says, Do you know what? God cannot accept me and I'm without hope. You need to know that this is a trustworthy saying, that Christ came into this very world to save sinners. If you've maybe bought into the lie that money is going to fulfill and complete you, then you need to trust when Jesus says, be on guard against all greed, because your life does not consist in the abundance or the accumulation of possessions. In fact, you need to trust when God says it's better to give than to receive. With work and business, you need to remember, do it with all your heart, not unto men, but as unto the Lord. In suffering, you need to know that this present time is not worth comparing with the glory that is, the, is, that is to be revealed to us. Regarding the future, we await a new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. And lastly, in loving our neighbour, remember, let's not be wary. Let's not grow wary in doing good because at the right time, at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. And that's just the surface. That's just the surface, family, of what it means to acknowledge God in all of our ways, trusting him and taking him at his word. But before we, I guess, move on and think, you know what, I've got this done, I've got this covered. We need to remember that this is only possible. It's only possible to trust in God um, by the grace that we receive through faith in Jesus Christ. That's the only way that we can um, really walk this out and accomplish what it means to trust in God with all of our hearts. In Hebrews 11, which I quoted from earlier regarding Sarah and Abraham, um, towards the end of it, you see a list of the faithful, the people of God who trusted in him and accomplished various things for God's kingdom. But in Hebrews 12 and um, verses one and two, it says this, it's almost like the finale um, in this in this in this grand piece of scripture it says this in verses one and two 
Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. You see, Jesus acknowledged the father in all his ways. He is the only person who could truly say that he had chosen the way of faithfulness, that he had set God's law before him, that his soul was consumed with longing for God's decrees. You see, he truly fulfilled this passage that we're looking at in Proverbs. He trusted in the law or in the Lord, should I say, with all his heart. And yet in that passage I just read in Hebrews, we don't read that he went straight from earth to the right hand, um, to the right hand of the father. No, we read that Christ took a different path. You can call it a crooked one when he went on the cross so that we who have failed in our obligation to love God with all of our hearts and therefore trust him may know straight paths. Peter, he says in first Peter, I believe, he says that Christ talking about Jesus, that he suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, so that he might bring us back to God. And in bringing us back to the Father, not only are we forgiven, but this is great. What Jesus has done, Romans 8, 29 says that he is making us like him. We are becoming like Jesus, like the righteous, like the one who trusted in the Father with all of his heart. And so we are a people who are his possession and who are called to be zealous for good works, trusting in him. And so if during the course, I guess, of this passage um, and during this sermon, you have maybe just, I guess, assessed your life and seen actually during this season, I have lacked trust in God. Then I want to encourage you and in fact, challenge you to confess it to the Lord. Repent, bring it before him, receive the forgiveness that you need because he's faithful and just to forgive us and then go into his word. Regardless, regardless of um, what area of life it's about, go into his word and see what he has to say and believe and trust that Christ will perfect your faith. But if, for instance, during this message, um, you've realised actually my life is not being built on the foundation, which is Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone, then I want to call you to repentance. It's only when we build our lives by faith on the author the saviour, the sustainer, the redeemer of life, Jesus Christ, that we can know true life. So I want to call you to repentance, to not trust in yourself, not trust in what you possess, but instead trust or entrust your life to a very faithful saviour. So what we're going to do now is pray. And then after this, we will worship. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. It is good. It is true. It is beautiful. And Lord, I want to pray that you would help us to trust in you. Lord, to remember your holy, your great, your your perfect character. Thank you, Lord, that you love us. And God, I pray that you would help us to get rid of idols. God, that in every area of our life, let um, let it be revealed to you. We know that you see all things. But Lord, help us to open up our lives to you so that you may be the very ultimate authority that we lean on. And God, I pray, guide us, help us to be people who search your word and believe in it by faith. We pray even now, God, that you would grant by your spirit the gift of faith. 
so that we may believe and trust in you and walk in straight paths for the glory of God and in the name of Jesus Christ. God, we ask you for all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.